As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Tuesday show. We are the Tuesday boys. Hashtag Tuesday boys. Three Z's. The Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Sean Gentilly. I'm here with, of course, Max Boltman. Uh, another another week off for Craig Cousins. He's, boy, I haven't seen him or spoken to him in weeks. He's, he's in Croatia, I think, on vacation. And one of those lovely... Lovely Croatian beaches. That's what he is. He doesn't do any work here. Max, you know this. Doesn't have anything better to do other than to just hang out for days and days on end. So we brought in A-plus number one substitute, super sub, Maxi here to take over for Craig, as he usually does, and hang out and BS with me on a Tuesday morning. Hey, buddy. Uh, and also, do you, do you know where Cousins is? Well, I was just going to say, the length that some people will go to to skip out on Secret Santa is it's wild, staggering. It's wild. You guys, I'm sure you guys have some kind of D- Detroit area athletic Christmas party <laughs> uh, set up. So, Craig, so Craig, Craig walking out on that. I don't know if I, if I actually even should say this. I put in the chat, <laughs> in our athletic chat like two weeks ago. Are we reviving the Christmas party this year? Because we used to have one every year before COVID. Mm-hmm. And no one replied. Not one single it's person. Brutal. 
we can get we can get way far down the weeds on a athletic <laughs> slack room, you know, protocol or whatever. But yeah, the the city, the, the city channels are a grim spot. Craig's doing boss stuff. I feel like I should drop the bullshit. Um, <laughs> he's not hanging out on beaches or whatever. He was at the uh, baseball GM meetings last week and blah 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 doing boss stuff. That's why Maxie's here. And also, to make up for Craig's absenteeism, which is, for whatever reason you want to attribute it to, it is it is uh, terminal and relentless. We have Red Wings coach Derek Lalonde on the show. Uh, big get. Can't believe it happened. I think Max Maxie pulled some strings. Producer Jeff pulled some strings. I, I had never spoken... To Derek alone until uh, yesterday morning when when we taped the interview. I'm not going to ruin anything. We'll save we'll save the interview for the interview spot. But I loved him. He seems He's like a fun. great guy. He seems like a great guy to talk to, right? Like, what have what have your first? And again, we we don't need to linger on this. But what's like the capsule on De- on Derek alone after you know 25 or 30 games of of him as the the big boss over there? Yeah, I mean, I, I covered Jeff Blashill for my entire career mm-hmm. up until that so I, I was not sure like you know the, the little dynamic differences uh of a new coach and what that'd be like but he's super I, you know I, I think the interview shows it uh really honest really transparent guy and he doesn't really beat around the bush on anything he, he pretty much tells you exactly what what he's thinking about you know his his team and and shares some fun stories which in our line of work is uh that's about all you can ask for so uh yeah i think the interview was good i think the interview was pretty pretty reflective of, of how he even is in, in in larger press settings. So I hope people will like it. Uh, I, I think there's some good stuff in there. That is like kind of an underrated part, an underrated shitty part of the gig for us is going through a coaching change, going through your first coaching change as a writer, you know, whether it's a beat you're on like you or just the guy that you're around the most, which was me with, with Dan Bilesma. It is nerve-wracking it is it is like and i don't think it's talked about all that much but the idea of like going from someone who you're comfortable with you know their rhythms you know uh, you know how they approach just just the work day right like you know how how it's gonna go and then having that kind of thrown up in the air and and jumbled around like who cares about the players who cares you, about the fan you face do not know if john tortorella is going to walk through the door <laughs> the next day and make your next four years just like a constant stress fest in that room what was that okay so let's let well we have other things to talk about we're going to talk about the vancouver canuck situation even though it involves bo horvat who is one of the most american non-american players i think that's the way we're, we're going to get around this we're going to talk about that. We have other things lined up, but I do, Maxie, I do want to hear about this from you. Cause I don't think, cause it was off season. Like we didn't do a show or anything when Detroit was you and I together. And when Detroit was looking for a coach, um, I have a feeling you were nervous about the guy <laughs> they were going to hire. Right. And we knew that it was going to be maybe alone, maybe, yeah. Lane, maybe Lane Lambert. We had an idea that it was going to be an Iserman guy in some capacity, but again, nerve wracking. What was the Red Wings coaching search like for you? I can't believe I haven't told you this story, but you might've, you might've, I just don't think, do you know that they hired him the day I got engaged? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well then, well, I think I've told that before, so then I won't repeat it. But no, you. I think you just you just told me when. Tell it here. You told you told me when we were BSing about it. Yeah, I, I mean, think, so, I don't think you said it on the air. Uh, okay, so ba- I mean, I'll, I'll give the short version. But basically, <laughs> I, I was on the phone uh, earlier that day about something completely unrelated with the Red Wings head of PR uh, and j- just normal beat stuff. And and then all in the middle of it, it's in the summer. There's nothing going on. And then in the middle of it, he's like, "I gotta go." And I was like, "Not today. This cannot happen today." Uh, Nothing happened for the next couple hours, which was all the time I needed to execute the proposal. And then, like, <laughs> which was like fairly elaborate as far as those things go, if I remember correctly. Like, there was stuff that went into it. It wasn't just it you was know, segmented out. Yeah, like we, we it wasn't just go like go somewhere and ask the question. Like, there was a little bit more to it than that. Yeah, with you too. But the the, the it was kind of split into two halves. So there was we had kind of I planned kind of like an instant surprise engagement party. Um, but the proposal or the hiring came down in between those two. And so it was like it's unreal. an hour after I asked, like within like 10 minutes of us getting home, uh, had to get right to it. And so the timing actually worked out perfect there. That was the thing I was most nervous about. But yes, I mean, you, you heard Lalone's name. Um, throughout the process, there were various. I mean, Bruce Cassidy, I think, was a, a guy who it would have made complete sense to come in. And I've always, in my dealings with Bruce, Bruce Cassidy, really liked him. But there was that whole news cycle about, you know, oh, is, is he, you know, were the players frustrated by him? And yeah. you don't know if like you're going to jump right in and, into a situation that you're not actually realizing the dynamic of. Uh, I think Barry Trotz was another one that was, I mean, he was obviously on the market. I don't know how serious that ever got. All, all, all these guys that were being discussed, like you were going to get it. You were going to get a nice one for them. I think part. so. Like those guys are all generally good to deal with. There was no like. You know, oh my God! There's there's five names, and one of them is. But there know, were people who were suggesting a, a Tortorella type. There were yeah. people who were like, oh. "Why not Mike Babcock?" And yeah, sure, bring him. You're bring him back. you're trying to cover all this objectively, but in the back of your mind, you are like, like, "I don't, I don't give want me one of the guys who likes to talk." <laughs> I don't want to do this, especially because Steve Eiserman so much does not like to talk publicly. Like, what are you talking about? He's a great give guy. me a front man who wants to answer. Some questions. Steve Eiserman, famously happy, chill general manager who who, <laughs> who loves, <laughs> loves talking to people. You know who would have been nice in height? Oh, I, you know what? You had to, you kind of hit the jackpot on the on, on the loan. He's, he seems great. What would have been helpful, and it's going to be helpful for possibly somebody else because we keep talking about this and it keeps not happening. No better coach to cover than Bruce Boudreaux. He's the nicest guy in the world. Super yeah. chip. Super chatty, famous, famously so. He, as of nine thirty-two on December thirteenth, Eastern Eastern Standard Time. I always get that screwed up. Is still the coach of the of the Vancouver Canucks. We're in a state of stasis with the Vancouver Canucks at the moment, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be that way for long. We're talking about potential Brock Besser trade stuff, which we hit on last week. Obviously, the Boudreaux question is still hanging over. You know, my God, I, I don't know how much longer they can keep this keep this going, even though they've won some games of late. Uh, the big one that dropped on Monday, though, is of course the Bo Horvat situation, which was reported out by our buddies Tom Strand and Rick Dalawal. Uh, Rick said this on the rate on the radio, on, I believe, on, on Sportsnet uh, in Canada at some point. The Canucks made an offer to Bo Horvat recently, and it was rejected. 
The Canucks stretched as far as they could go. As of right now, I believe they've gone as far as they can go. Even the number the Canucks were willing to go to, they would have been over the cap at the end of the season. Bulls are in the right to hit the free agent market. The Canucks will now take the best offer for both. So this isn't, you know, I think we need an important thing to differentiate between here is the report. And these, again, these are guys we work with and guys we trust. Isn't that they're soliciting offer for Bo and they're listening and, you know, maybe this heats up and maybe, maybe this doesn't, it's like, this is going to happen. And it's, and it, it, that, that is the road that Rick and, and Drancer are leading us down, that this is certainly more, more likely to happen than not. And it's definitely escalated over, over the last, you know, couple of days. Yeah. What I took out of it is it doesn't sound like, doesn't sound like one of those things that's tinged with like, uh, oh, maybe a team's leaking mm-hmm. that they're going to explore trade to try and grease the wheels here. Like if, yeah, if, it's if, a classic, a classic, like, let's see what the offers are. If we get pulled over, we'll do it. If not, we'll hold serve and whatever. That doesn't sound like that's what we're dealing with at the moment. No. And, and it is a shocking place to be at with, with Bo Horvat, who's obviously the captain of that team. Um, but when you look at, and I, I mean, these things are all related. You know, I'm sure the JT Miller contract is an obstacle to, to getting the Bo Horvat contract done, but it, it is kind of bizarre to me how a team in the position that the Vancouver Canucks are in can have picked the 30 year old center over the 26 year old center. Um, even knowing that JT Miller had an unreal year last year, I just can't square that. I think that's the way that it needs to be framed now that maybe it wasn't framed in the summer. Right, because there was some uncertainty about what Vancouver's cap number was going to be. There was certainly some optimism over what they were going to look like as a roster and what the results were going to be like. You know, I don't think anybody anticipated the zero and seven multiple blown leads catastrophest that you know October was for them. So, of course, you're not going to frame it in such negative terms. Like, there's that's just human nature. When something happens, you're going to automatically give it the benefit of the doubt. And, and we're not going to jump to, hey, did uh, did Jim Rutherford just choose JT Miller over Bo Horvat? It's not going to happen in July or whatever. But it seems like that's where we're at. And that's the way it needs to be framed moving forward. Because I think Jim... And Patrick Olivine have gotten a lot of mileage out of saying like, all right, hold on. We got a lot of work to do. Like this is, this wasn't, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. We've got a lot of deals we want to move. We've got a lot of blah, 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 blah. We're a year into it now for all intents and purposes. We're a full off season out. They have made their choices in terms of, by, by the way, in terms of who they kept and also who they've chosen to not move and whatever. Like this isn't this this roster has a whole lot more of their fingerprints on it now, that regime's fingerprints on it now than it did say three months ago or six months ago or nine months ago. And that is why this is happening. That is why we are having this discussion, is because they chose to extend JT Miller after a season that is tough to imagine he'll ever recreate for a zillion years in a trillion dollars. That's why it's happening. And that's why they're talking about trading Bo Horvat, who's a better player, a younger player. And he's also having the best season of his career, which makes this look so, so, so much worse. He lines up better with them from an age standpoint. Like, Check any box, right, on Bo Horvat versus JT Miller. And he's the guy that they should have chosen. And it's clear now 
and it should have been clear back in August or what or whatever, and maybe it wasn't wasn't clear enough that this is the choice they made. It's Miller over Horvat. That's what Jim chose. That's what Patrick Alvin chose. And this is the chickens coming to roost now because it seems again from Drance and Drancer and Rick that this is that this is it. Like he's he certainly sounds like he's gone, and it's being framed in a way that you don't typically see. And they'll get something for him, but I do I do honestly wonder if it's even as much as you would have gotten for Miller last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you're you're gonna get you know, and, and Drance has written extensively on this. I think he's spot on. Every historical precedent says you trade a prime aged center as good as Bo Horvat, you're getting a first round pick plus, probably getting a first round pick plus a good prospect for him. So it's not like they're gonna get nothing, but I think you'd have gotten that for JT Miller. And I think you can still have a younger player. And I think that those two things are more, they add up better than keeping the 30-year-old center and a pick and a prospect who JT Miller's all of a sudden 32, 33 by the time those pieces are in the fold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think JT Miller's a good player. Like he's, he's real. I think the contract you can justify for Colorado or something. Yeah. Who's gonna Who's gonna take advantage of it in the next three years? He's still a point per game player this year. He still plays a playoff style. Um, I, I just, it's bizarre to me for a team in Vancouver situation, but, and, and I know, you know, the Canucks get no okay, shortage so, of so, pub. So they were close to moving him at the draft. Like that, that almost happened on the floor to an Eastern conference team. We'll say. Yeah. Um, so this wasn't like, uh, they clearly, they, they pursued other, <laughs> avenues with C.A.T. Yeah. Miller, right? They they had to choose to keep him at the deadline and they were close to nailing something down in Montreal at the at the draft and blah 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 blah. They they but ultimately they chose him multiple times. Then it culminated with the with the contract offer. But that that was in in the summer, I mean based on you know stuff that was coming from around JT Miller, I, I don't think that that was I don't think that that was a given that 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 offer was going to come from from the Canucks. Like I, I don't. It was n- certainly not a foregone conclusion that they're going to walk out of this past offseason with him locked up for as long as it was. But they did, and now here they are, right? So in the specifics, just so just so you, you folks have them, because I, I know not everybody reads everything that goes on goes up on the site. This is from Rick and Drancer. We believe the club tendered their leading goal scorer a max term offer that was well shy of $8 million, which like that, it's like timeout. Done. You have a guy like Bo Horvat, who's the age he is, with a track record that he has, coming off the previous contract that he signed, having the season that he's in the middle of, 20 goals on December on December 13th through 28 games. You're coming well shy of eight million dollars, like this is this is a thing salute. though. Right now, there are and, and I, I'm living it in Detroit right now with Dylan Larkin. The generation of centers that bridged to about this yep. age. And I don't even know if you can call the Larkin and Horvat deals true bridges. They were fairly long at the time mm-hmm. they were signed. Uh, those teams do not seem to be in line with where the market for the RFA deals that these guys are getting are. They have not recalibrated with uh, the the and look if you're Steve Eiserman knows more about being a NHL executive yeah. than 
what 99.999% of the population, right? C- certainly more than us. But at some point, this is going to be reality for F. It, it's it, it's gonna going to need going to need to be reality faced by every franchise where you're like, this is just how much it costs now. And I think I've said this before and I've said it in a lot of different contexts. This is what we saw for all those years with Sidney Crosby acting as like the kind of unofficial cap on, on annual values. Like forget that he signed that deal pre lockout, like all these specifics that went into it. People were itchy about paying players more than him understandably even though we're talking about a deal that was signed more more than a, more than a decade ago right yeah and people just got it in their heads that ultra elite players cost nine million dollars ten million dollars like in the in the in the in the range of the last Patrick Kane deal like whatever well and the guys who were setting these uh, artemi panarin i mean that i mean that was a big deal but even him he's a is a winger right like like the centers don't get to free agency it just doesn't happen i mean the only one who did is Tavares, really right Mm -hmm. and he got a huge number so there's just so little precedent for these guys actually getting to the open market that all the comps more or less are extensions uh or deals that are you know, RFA, which is a different calculation. So it is fascinating to, to watch, you know, when I was doing a Larkin comparables thing, which I assume is not that far off of the Horvat comparables at this point. Uh, you know, I, I think it's like, it's like Kuznetsov and it's, uh, I mean, Barzal is the one that, that both of those players I think are going to want to use at 9.15. Yep. That's it. On the open market. I don't think that's crazy. I think they'd find someone who'd give them that. I also can understand the team's position that like, you know, trying to build something here. Can you not squeeze us for that? And, and they can give the eighth year. I mean, the eighth year has to matter at some point, but, but it under eight doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. I mean, at that point you're talking in the eights, right? It, it, probably in the high eights. If you're, uh, if you're talking about say, like we'll say that Dylan Larkin, Bo Horvat, they are say second, third, first line center, right? Like they're 10 to 20 in, in, in the league. They're yeah. not, you know, we can quibble about the specifics there. Like, so what are they going to make? They're not going to make McKinnon money. Right? They're not, they're not going to make $14 million. But the idea that they're, that Vancouver is trying to lock down that dude for that amount of money, well, well below $8 million, that is not going to work out. And also, and you know, like they're they're talking out of both sides of their mouth on this too, and then we're like, this is this is not unique. This is something we see all the time, where they're like, all right, this guy isn't. We don't do we think he's worth, you know, eight and a half million dollars? Like, no. <laughs> but they also, according to Drancer and Rick, the club is ideally looking for a package including multiple young players, ideally centermen and right-handed defensemen right. in a Horvat trade. So like, all right, you don't think he's worth $9 million, but you want multiple players and the player profile that is hardest to find and most valuable on the ice, which is young center, right-handed defenseman. Like, okay, good luck. You can you can't have it both ways. You either think that dude is worth paying nine million dollars a year or or something close to it, or you, or you're or you ask for less. That's just the way it is. And 
I'm sure they'll get some kind of package that'll be worth it. That's because that's usually how it works. Because Maxi, like you said, this is not unprecedented, but pretty close to it to have a player that of that um that caliber, you know, set to hit the market. But at that position, is, yeah, totally. Wild. I mean, you talk about well short of eight million. Well short of eight million is what that's Paige the, Thompson. That, by got. the way, that's the phrasing that just like well short. Yeah, that's what that's what gets me. But Tage Thompson signed for that, and he had one, like, serious year. And he looks like a superstar. That contract now looks like a steal at 7.15 or whatever it is. But, like, he had one year. That's what you got for one year yep. of doing that. So, Bo Horvat's going to get, I would think, at least a million more than that. I don't know. I mean. That's what every every time a player like, like Tage Thompson signs a deal, that's what every GM thinks they can squeeze a player for. Like they're like, oh, okay, well, that's, of course, we can sign, we can like, sign the like guy. Like dry sidle looked like a, yeah. a a high deal, and then it would look like steel. I was like, well, dry sidle makes this, <laughs> <laughs> right? As as if you know, and, and you know what? They're probably right because these are hockey players, and more often than not, like they don't make it to market. And when you re-sign with your team, you're by definition leaving money on the table. So maybe right. they, you know, under a different circumstance you know, this would be posturing. But in Vancouver's case, it really doesn't seem that way because of how screwed up their cap situation is because of, again, extending JT Miller and, you know, whatever they have to think about in the future. And the lead up to it, right? Like, I mean, uh-huh. it's the OEL trade and, and it's it's Garland and, it, you know, Besser, who they're going to have to trade now. Like, just so many little things that that led into it. And, and I get how it all happened, right? Like, they were in this weird place where they were rebuilding and then they're all of a sudden, you know, a borderline conference finalist. And then it becomes try to get it over the hump. But, and I'm not trying to be like a hindsight genius here, but in hindsight, it went the complete opposite way. Yeah. The mix, the mix wasn't it. And all, and this will be the last thing we say about this. Cause we don't, we don't need it. I mean, this is, this is the right amount to talk about Vancouver, but we don't want to hit on them for 45 minutes or whatever. We've seen this from Jim Rutherford before. The man does not value cap space as a returned asset. He is, this is fundamental to his being and to the way he views himself and the way he views his job. Is he, this man is here to win hockey trades. He is here to acquire better hockey players than the ones that he sends out. He doesn't value cap space as an asset. He doesn't think that when cap space is involved in a deal that you can win it. And that is a huge, huge part of the reason why they are where they are. But the OEL, the OEL trade, extending Connor Garland, whatever. This is why they are where they are. Because Jim is not ever, unless <laughs> something changes with him, he's never going to look at cap space and retain salary or whatever and truly look at it as an asset. And that is the mindset they needed to have in the summer. They needed to be willing to send out players for cap space and very little, very little else. And if that would have happened, you know, we wouldn't be in this situation because Max, you said this, you know, like get a look. They current regime, past regime, whoever it was, a little bit too much for Connor Garland, adding Oliver Ekman Larson, a little bit money there, a little bit money there. And then before you know it, you're squeezing Brock Brett, Brock Besser. You're you're squeezing Bo Horvat for a million dollars where you shouldn't. And they're like, we don't cut the money, and that's where they are. Very very one, disappointing stuff. One quick one here before we get to the Lalone interview. 
Who would you rather have if you're the New York Rangers or the Colorado Avalanche? Are you trading for Bo Horvat, knowing what the uh, asset cost is going to be for that? Or are you trading for Jonathan Taves, knowing what it's going to be for him and also that he's got the little higher cap hit right now? If I'm Colorado, I, I okay, if I, is this a cop-out? If, if I'm the Islanders, I'm trying to trade for Bo Horvat. If I'm Colorado, I'm probably trying to trade for Taves. Cause, what about cause the Rangers? I, Rangers, Rangers go Horvat. Like, figure out a way. Like, those guys have, you know, those teams have a contract structure that makes it a little bit more possible. Whereas, like, because they, they need pieces put in place, right? And you f- you figure it out if, if you're the New York teams. You say, we can add Bo Horvat. We add Bo Horvat. <laughs> we send out pieces. We make the cap work, whatever. Colorado's in the lux- in this in this situation where they don't have to do that. They don't have to and send they don't have the... They might they, not even and have they, the and assets, yeah. right? And they it, so whatever you you say, like let's figure out a way to to bring in Taves or a guy who we don't have to sign for eight years because we don't have to, right? So I I, I think that's it. Let's get Bo to New York. Let's get Taves to Colorado. Strengthen the Metro Division. Just make sure to, make sure to get Bo out of out of Canada. That's the main that's the main goal here. Thank you, Maxi. That was good. We're about to talk to your new friend, Derek Cologne, who it should be noted is not John Tortorella and is not Lane Lambert. He's the coach of the Detroit Red, the Detroit Red Wings, who are, you know, they've they've leveled up here. We're we're gonna talk to him about it. We have the right dude in the other chair to do it as well, Max Bowman. So stay tuned. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. We are happy to bring in our guest for today, Red Wings coach Derek Alone, who, let's see, we're coming off a of Bill's win <laughs> yesterday. That seems like that's an important, that's an important fact here. How, how are we doing? I'm good. What, what do you think of that game last night? Some nervous moments. I did text my, uh, I was unable to watch it, the first half at least, and I just had to text my guy, uh, Todd Beam, what's going on, and he does not use his phone during the game. He shuts himself off to the rest of the world. So involved. It sounds about right. It sounds about right. So it's yeah. a smart. It's a smart move. Good win. Good win for the Bills Mafia. Well, you know, there was a there was a point where so Todd Todd for those who don't know is the Red Wings head of PR. My early years on the beat. So I'm a big NFL fan, and and uh, I I've had Josh Allen in fantasy uh, several times, and so I, I would 
be trying to text Todd during the game. And at one point I texted him something, uh, maybe assuming a victory a little too early. And it, it was a, a reversal. And uh, I learned right then to not, uh, not play that game with Todd. <laughs> He's passionate. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm, I'm a big Stefan Diggs guy, Maryland. I'm a Terp. Yeah. Love it. Love he it. let me, he, he let me down from a fantasy standpoint last night, but that's fine. Yeah. We can move on. Yeah, I mean, so so we, we're coming off of uh, of a press conference here, so I don't want to get too redundant with you, but uh, what's kind of your feeling right now coming off of this road trip? I know it's a two one and one trip. You'll you'll take that almost every time in the NHL, but this was your me- these are your measuring stick games right now against the elite teams. What what are you learning about your team? Yeah, mixed emotions in some ways. Um, again, going into it, if we would have someone would have told me we'd been two one and one. Taking five of the eight points, I, I I think most teams around the league would have taken that with this type of road trip, uh, but just left a little bad taste in your mouth on Saturday with only getting the one point. Uh, big picture, it's fine, but you know that that game was just a little a little too familiar in that we played a really good five on five game. Uh, our compete was there, our execution for the most part was there. And then even our execution overtime was there. We just turned the puck over uh, and just handed it away. So a little frustrating that we left that point out there. We've left too many out there uh, between overtime and uh, and the shootout. Um, so, but all in all, you know, kind of reflects our season. Uh, good, uh, not great. Um, and what's exciting for me is I think it left the boys wanting a little bit more and maybe have a little bit more of expectations for themselves. I know we've talked about kind of how the, the various moments of this year where it's maybe looked ahead of schedule and then you have some some nights where, you know, it, it looks like, you know, maybe what some people expected. I'm curious, have you kind of gotten to the place where you feel like maybe this is a little ahead of schedule of what you thought when you took the job? Yeah, I, I, I've done a pretty good job. I've cautioned my guys about living in the moment and, I, and I've – done a good job of doing it for myself and my staff also but yeah it, it this feels uh, ahead of schedule um and you know but do you get your moments of reality uh and you know until beating tampa and taking a point in uh, uh dallas you know we have struggled against the elite uh lately and you know, not play-wise, just just finding ways to win. I just think the margin of error is even more thin when you play those elite teams. Um, but you know, with that said, I I I like where we're at as a group. I, I know I keep getting the playoff question time and time, and that's good. We we want to get questions like that because that means we're at least in the conversation. But when I talk about being realistic, one of it, a little bit, is ourselves as a team. Uh, I want to be realistic, but it's also our, our conference. And I stated that from, from day one, I, th- I believe we have the 11th win percentage in the league right now, and we're outside the playoffs. And and that's no knock on us or our guys. It's almost a credit of where the Eastern conference is and how deep it is. You know, if we were in the West, maybe we'd have a little bit different conversation, but we went two one-on-one on this road trip and we lost ground. Yeah, And so I just... I want to be cautious and where we're at, you know, kind of keep it in the moment. Cause I still think there's going to be some, some rough roads. Um, you know, we talk about all the forward injuries we've had, but knock on wood, we've been very lucky with not having many injuries or f- few of any on D and our goaltending has been healthy. So 
Uh, still want to be cautious. We have a long ways to go. Um, just looking to be more consistent and stay consistent as a team. I know Max, Max kind of alluded to this, but is there a point during the season where you're, where the approach, depending on where you are in, in the standings will change? Like, are you like, okay, if, if it's, if it's, if it's January 15th and we're still in the discussion, like we need to recalibrate here and kind of change maybe the definition of what success is or is that just kind of an immutable thing like from yeah. now until now until the end of the go here i honestly don't think so yeah um it might even be right to the last game of the year if we're still in the mix of flirting with it and really it's just you know where we're at we're just it, there's no need to really even talk about it um again realistically on where we are as a team uh, you know, realistically and, you know, where our roster is compared to some of those teams that we will be battling for, for those quote unquote last playoff spots. So I think our guys have accepted the fact that we're going to judge ourselves on performance. We're going to judge ourselves in the moment. And so far there's been good buy-in with it and it's been real for them. I'm curious, Derek, you know, you're coming from a situation in Tampa where when you guys brought talented young players in, they were not expected to be huge load carriers for you guys right away. Mikhail Sergachev, great young defenseman there. You had Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough in front of him. And I'm curious how you think it affects the development or, or what it does or what the pros and cons are, I guess, even of, of that situation for Lucas Raymond and Murat Sider, who for you guys are just going to, they're just going to be asked to play a bigger role than, and Sergachev obviously played a ton of minutes, but able to be sheltered a little. Well, that's a great question. First and foremost, when you look at Tampa, you have to give the organization a hole on their development of younger players. And that goes to Benoit Grew, the Syracuse staff. It goes to the development department. But it's a little different acclimating young players into a team when your top end is so elite. Um, no matter what forward comes in, um, you know, it, people are like, oh, Tampa just grows these prospects on trees. Well, it's easy to come in in a third line 12 minute role when Cooch and Point and Stamler are already <laughs> eaten up all those minutes. Right. It's easy to come in for Sergachev when, and, and these guys play great and they did a great job uh, immediately in the National Hockey League. But when Hedman and McDonough are eating all your minutes, it's just different here in that, you know, we've asked Mo to play in every situation. Um, 25 minutes, number one power play at times, number one penalty kill, the toughest matchup. Uh, Raymond, same thing, top line, top six. It's just, it's a little bit different, um, but there's still different ways of acclimating young players into the league. And it, it's, and you have to, it's reality of it. Uh, it's a different NHL. You have to develop on the fly. And we just, you don't have the luxury of today's cap of, you know, uh, Detroit for years, guys would play 200 games in the American mm -hmm. Hockey League that might have been NHL ready. You just don't have that luxury anymore. There is a little bit of developing on the fly. And uh, I think we did that in Tampa. It was a great experience for me to see how that was done in Tampa. And we're trying to do the same thing here in Detroit. How does that work for a player like Sider who was just, you know, unbelievable last year? I'm, I don't want to say that he, that he surprised people, but for him to be, you know, on the peripheral of, you know, people were the expectations for him were outsized, I think, for his second year based on what we saw from him last year. He's in the Nor People are throwing Norris, you know, discussion, talking points around, you know, at the start of the season. How do you, 
and development isn't linear and we know all that stuff progress isn't linear with players but how do you keep him on how do you even figure out what the track is for somebody who showed as much as we saw from him last season in in, in his second year and keeping it while keeping it realistic and 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 attainable for someone who is as great as as he was as a rookie yeah i think it's our job as a coaching staff not to judge him on expectations literally his day-to-day game perfect example he was excellent the other day he was arguably one of the better players on the ice how can you not mm-hmm. leave that dallas game and be like he's gonna be an absolute superstar someday uh, but it's still judging him on a couple mistakes managing his game and he's had games this year where he's had high volume of turnovers he has games where he's done poor with his gapping he's done games where um, he's mismanaged the puck, some egregious turnovers. It's just you're treating it on an everyday basis. I think what's different with that type of player, and you don't have the luxury of giving him 150 games in American Hockey League practice time. Like he still has to develop in practice. Our skating coach was in town today. He spent 30 minutes with the skating coach on top of a 50 minute uh, practice, on top of an extra 10 minutes uh, working the offensive line with the puck. It's just the reality of, is that productive in a day before back-to-back? Not ideal, but where we need him to be in three months, six months, nine months, you might even go back a little bit on playing a back-to-back on what we ask of him today in practice. Again, that's kind of my point on developing on the fly just so it looks a little bit different today's NHL. Have you seen any kind of frustration from from him or from Lucas in, in terms of, you know, expectations for them, maybe even unfairly high coming into the year? Yeah, unfairly high is real. Absolutely. But yes, there's there's frustration in both the guys. But I like that because they have high expectations of themselves. And all the greats, when, the, when, they've, when they've gone to being a great, it's usually because of their own expectations. They want to be great. Um, so I think, of course, there's some, you know, we're sitting back. Um, as a coach in this league, um, Bob Bugner, I haven't played and coached in this league. Alex Tangay coached, played 1,100 games in this league. We know they're going to go through ups and downs. Um, it's just so, it's just too hard of a league. Of course, you're, the superstars, established superstars have ups and downs in their games, uh, night in and night out. It's just such a competitive league. Uh, so it's not surprising us, but it's new for them too. They're going to have off nights. They're going to have frustration nights. Well, it's how they handle them, how we handle them, uh, and then how you get more consistency in their game. So, yes, there has been frustration, but to me, that's just natural progression. When you moved here, uh, I think it's really cool. Like You chose to live downtown. I, I can't think of a lot of coaches or even players who who, who are here who, who have done that. I'm curious, how does that like shaped how you know your first few months in the city, how you've gotten to know the city, uh, living downtown? It's been phenomenal. Um, not ideal because I'm not with my family. Uh, yeah. We kind of had a pact with my family long ago. When you go down this coaching path, we'd always stay together. And we did that through our moves from Toledo to Des Moines to Tampa here. Just it was not realistic. School started literally August 3rd in Tampa. Yeah. And we tried for about 40 minutes to put everything in motion. And it was the most stressful 40 minutes <laughs> of my, my life. Remember Jeff, Jeff Blaschel driving to Tampa, he brought the whole family and he was going through hell week of getting kids in school, getting their minor hockey. And he's like, he's like, Newsy, you're the smartest guy I've ever met. 
Um, so not ideal that they're here. They're going to make the move. We'll, we'll, we'll do the suburb thing next year with the family. Uh, but it was an easy decision to live downtown. And it was, it's, it's more than I expected. It's been phenomenal. Um, half our staff lives downtown. Um, yeah. you know, drapes last week rolled his eyes. Couldn't believe we're all living downtown. It's just, it's just he's been here. Just people moved to the suburb. Yeah. I live in the midtown area. These guys live downtown. It's been phenomenal. Uh, restaurants, um, just living the day. It's, it's, it's been awesome. It's opened my eyes to how great this city is. And, um, it's, it's been, it's been a great experience. Can I get a, can I get a restaurant recommendation for Detroit? Cause I don't, I don't trust Max when it comes to this stuff. The, he's led me, he's led me astray before. I'm the Selden. The Selden is right around the corner in Midtown. I can't okay. exact, uh, a Selden. It's the restaurant right there. It's phenomenal. It's as nice and great food, uh, different plates. And I've never shied away from the odd dive bar now and then. There we go. I and love it. There's Perfect. There's a ton of them. I, the Cobbs are around the corner from me. Uh, the Bronx over there in Midtown. Bronx has a great burger. Yeah, phenomenal. Burger. Like, and it's just, yeah. and honestly, they've been great spots, but phenomenal people. Um, stumbled onto Mario's, which is literally uh, pitching wedge from my house. Phenomenal restaurant. Uh, and it's, 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 you know, we laugh. We're on a, uh, downtown tour of the downtown coaching staff and it's it's been uh, it's been phenomenal that's great so you're okay so you're 27 games in here i'm sure there was an assessment period you know of the team in in the after you took the job going into the preseason where you have certain ideas about about guys about guys in the team certain expectations i want to know if i'm curious if there's anybody who surprised you in, in, in particular in ter- terms of the player you're getting in terms of the guy you're getting, like who is the, who is this, who is the surprise assessment here? I would say, God, a majority of the guys in, in mm. a good way. Um, I, it, some of the, the, the new signings, Ben Sherat, uh is giving us way more than what I expected and knowing we were going to be a pretty good player. Only Mata on what he has given us. Um, obviously, Kubalik and the offense he's given us. David Perron, uh, the new guys mixed in uh, with some of the expectations of the returners. Um, you know, for me, I like judging us on how we're playing. And yes, right now, the wins and losses, the points percentage is, is well ahead of probably what anyone expected. I mean, you see all the projections, we're, we're, we're well ahead of it. So that's a positive. But in the games that we've been successful, we're playing the right way. We're not turning pucks over. I mean, we went through a handful of games. We've literally turned over 17, 18 pucks in a game. Uh, the league average is 29. Uh, I remember in Tampa, it was almost to a T. If we had 22 or less, we won. And we've been managing the puck. We've been defending well. Uh, you know, we're going through some of these games, even the Toronto loss, uh, even the Vegas loss. We literally with our underlying grade A chances of staff, we're giving up eight, nine chances a game in some of these games. That's a recipe for winning. And it, are we, is that winning every night? Are we getting results every night? No, but I think those are kind of foundations that can lead you to success. That's what I'm most excited about in such a short uh, period of time. You mentioned Ole. I, I covered him when he was in Pittsburgh. I he That signing to me made all the sense in the world. Just... You know what? What? Whatever is Morris, or as it turns out, he's played, he's played Philip Ronick a whole lot. 
Um, what what is that pair, Hronik and Mata, looked like? Because we've seen Hronik uh, in particular looks like a different player than what we've seen from him the last couple of years. How much does Ole have to do with that, and how much you know? What, what's the balance like there? Because those guys have been great. I think Ole's a huge part of it, and uh, one Ole is an extremely simple and predictable player, and I think it's easy to play off. And for someone like Phil, who uh, has been predictable and good in his own right this year. But I just think for him, just knowing where his partner's going to be at all times, where he's going to be on breakouts, uh, they, they just support each other very well. So I think Ole Matt has been a huge part of Hironic's success. Hey, with Perron, uh, he obviously he's coming off the thousand game milestone. We, we've been asking guys about him around the room. Uh, Sunkvist was saying the second he enters a room, you know, he's there because he's always talking and he's loud. What is he always talking about? This is, this has come up. <laughs> Hockey he, and, and his passion and it's and it's awesome and and he I I knew he was a pretty good player obviously his offense what he's done for our power plays exceeded expectations uh, but he, he just his passion is real you know sometimes guys have to talk themselves into the fight uh, some guys you have to as a staff a little kick to get them going every night uh, he brings it. Um, He's passion. He wants to win. Uh, he has expectations about himself. His expectations about the team. He has expectations um, on how we practice. And I think it's been eye-opening and, and great for this group. I mean, we, we were in game two, and we're talking about being a calm bench, being a quiet confidence. And he was helping it. We were unraveling a little bit against uh, New Jersey. And he was the first guy that, hey, everyone relax, calm down. And then the guys did it. And then the next shift, he screamed at the ref. He screamed at a line, a teammate for not giving him the puck. He's screaming at me. Uh, but that's, that's him. Like, that's, but that's real. That's passion. And when someone comes off like that, I have all the time in the world for, and I think he has been a huge part of our early success. You talk about the calm bench, and I know that's something you – I think you joked about it earlier this year. You know, early in your career, you were questioning every other call, and, and now you'll go several games without talking to a ref. How conscious is that, though, to, to set that kind of – it seems like you guys are a calmer team than what I've covered in the past few years. Uh, well, one, I, I think it's important. I've seen what it can do success-wise in Tampa, uh, not only during the regular season, but those playoff games when it really mattered – when the line of winning and losing is so tight and when you handle that adversity in a game six or a game five on the road and things are unraveling, you just uh, are, are when our bench is calm, when our staff is calm, I think it just kind of feeds through the team. And I talked about that with the group early on and our leadership core actually came to me and, and brought up the fact it was needed. Uh, in the past year, there was times they felt they got caught up in the moment and unrun again. It's only 27 games, uh, but yeah. we've made it a habit of ourselves that we're going to let things roll. We're not going to say anything to the ref. It's going to be done properly through a captain. Uh, and you're going to have your moments where you can, you're going to talk through things with a ref or you're going to get emotional or excited, but manage those emotions. And for the most part, I think of a group as a group, we've done that. And I think it's benefited us. Awesome. You got anything else, Sean? No, I, I, that's funny. I, I always, you know, watching, watching you guys in Tampa, that was always a vibe that I got from watching, you know, whether it's, whether it's John, 
the, the assistance. It felt like you guys knew when to hit the button at the right time when it came to whether it's ref stuff, you know, all that. Is that is that one of the is that is that something you carried over from the lightning or is that, or, or think, is that yeah yeah and and pushing you know you got to stick up for your teams at time you know i've even had conversations with refs this year you know don't take advantage of me because i don't yell and scream on every single play um so i i, I do think it's something it's i think it's part of um team success it doesn't happen all the time your emotions are going to get to you and i go back to a story is my first American Hockey League head coaching job. And, you know, like Max talked about early in my career, like any young coach, there's emotional times. I might have been the most calm coach in the first 25 games in Iowa. Um, worked hard on it, didn't say a single thing to the ref, as I'm still building relationships with the refs too. Mm -hmm. And we had this game and we absolutely were on the awful side of some calls, <laughs> some inexperienced refing. I didn't say anything. And my JM comes in and yells at me for not saying a word to the refs. He goes, well, of course they're giving us bad calls a night when you just sit there and admire their work. And I'm like, and I'm like I just spent two years give, reeling this in, and now you're yelling at me for not yelling at the refs. So, but over 82 games in the long run, refs don't want to hear from me, first-year head coach. I think in the long run, I'm still trying to build some credibility uh, and a group, and as a team, we are too. And so far, it's only 27 games, but our, our, our group's been been really good in that aspect. I'm going to sneak one more in here. I remember earlier in the year, you talked about, uh, obviously, never supposed to have favorite players, but but you had a particular affinity for Anthony Sorelli Ooh. and Andre Palat in Tampa. Uh, do you have a favorite Sorelli or Palat story that's uh, that's fit for the podcast? No, Sorelli, but Sorelli was just that personality. One is twofold. He came in the league young. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing a lot of the one-on-one -on -one meetings, the developing. But my favorite Sorelli one was uh, he was not allowed to cut his hair unless he okayed it through me or Brandon Point. <laughs> and I know we joke about it, but not only were we helping Anthony mature as a hockey player we were helping him mature as a young young man <laughs> and one day he came in with an awful amish haircut <laughs> oh no he, again he sure was a good haircut i like any hair but <laughs> i remember uh i remember pointer comes in he's like you talk to your boy yet Did you talk to your boy yet and i'm no. like oh no and then i come in and he comes in and uh he's got this awful haircut and pointer goes i'm like pointer that's on you he's like i thought he okayed it with you so we're all pointing fingers so <laughs> from that point on anthony strally was not allowed to get a haircut without being either approved by pointer or myself and i kind of joke we had that same thing with um oscar sunquist this year oscar had the really long hair. that's what i like you talked about that with oscar like this and is where he, like you know that you know that how important it is to, yeah, to guard the hair lost like our next two games and maybe it's another something else i got from john cooper but before our second stanley cup um victor hedman cut his hair and victor hedman had the same swedish long hair going and victor cuts his hair short and coop comes right in the office he's like well, we're done. We're not winning Stanley Cup this year. <laughs> and it's just funny. It was maybe, it's, you know, just having a little fun with it. But that's the one Anthony Sorelli story that uh, just love the kid because he, he's real. He's an unbelievable human being. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Sorelli was my, one of my favorites there. 
Well, the obvious follow-up to that is, does Philip Peronic have a, uh, a rule in place about the mustache then, given how he well he's played? He might have to get that back. Actually, <laughs> his play continued pretty well after cutting it, but there was a little swag or spark to him when he had those handlebars. I, th- I think there's some truth to that. I think that's real. That's great. Derek, good luck with the rest of the schedule. I know you have a you got another full week coming up. There's no rest for the weary. It's Carolina. It's Carolina. It's it's Minnesota. So good luck with the games and good luck with playing haircut police because that's that's a that's clearly a very important part of the job. Not, not an easy job. Not an easy job. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Great stuff from Derek and Max. Aside from his emergence as you know the preeminent hair cop in the NHL, we heard a lot of. The word cautious. We heard a lot of the word optimism from from Derek. Is that as somebody who's around that team every single day? Uh, how how about this? I think something that people who watch them less are still trying to figure out are how sustainable this is. We talked to Derek about that. As a dude who covers this team, like where are they in terms of is this is this true talent that? level that we're seeing or or is it more likely than not that they fall off at some point here moving forward well fall off of the playoff spot i think so i mean and i actually don't even know if they're in there as of this morning i love that i love by the way how much how much he was like yeah we're not really worried like he he, (laughs) if you're the coach of a team that's outpacing expectations like that you can't say like yeah we're all in uh if if we if we miss out on this, it's going to be a disappointment. Right, and you all, and you also can't say like, yeah, this is this is bull. This is you know we're we're in over our skis here. You got to find the balance, and I think he I think he managed to do that. I not to interrupt. No, but I, I think there's there's truth to it too. I mean, in the the one thing that I think the tricky part is going to be is mm-hmm. that the guys who have led him here are mostly on short contracts, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. Even Larkin does not have an extension as of right now, like we talked about. Perron's got two years. Mata's on a one-year. Kubelik's on a two-year. And that's where it's important. That stuff we talked about with him about Raymond and Sider. Like, if those guys were the ones who were carrying them to this record, I think the overall level of, like, you know, confidence that this is all, the corner has officially been turned would be maybe more, firm i guess mm-hmm. um you got you know guy cop and Sherratt, like those guys are are on deals with some decent term so like the fact that you know that, i don't think you need to worry you know worry about the, the fact that they're involved in this but i would say peron is probably peron and and uh huso have probably been the two biggest drivers and huso's got three peron's got two uh that's where the the question is is like mm-hmm. you know what happens when when peron's not there is is that gonna set you back again. But that's what they're trying to do with developing on the fly. And that's, I, I like that answer from him. They, they got more of it to do. It's not just Cider and Raymond. That's for sure. You know, Edvinson's on his way. Uh, Marco Casper's on the way and, and Carter Mazur at the university of Denver has turned into a pretty good prospect there. So uh, they're going to have to develop on the fly to do this. I, I, I still don't see him as a playoff team, but I, I think on the arc, I do think it's trending in the right direction. And I, agree it's starting to look like they're ahead of schedule certainly ahead of the schedule i had mapped out for them uh, even (laughs) if it doesn't include the playoffs this year you hear that they've deviated from the boltman plan (laughs) (laughs) the one the bolt plan come on (laughs) oh shit it was right there oh my god it's too too early yeah thanks again to derek 
We've got one more segment coming up for you. It is not quite the only good segment on the show. It's a little bit different because we're going to focus on me and Maxie here. So stick around. We'll hit that in a second. This is not the only good segment on the show. We're taking a break from the comment section. Come back strong. Be ready whenever Craig comes back. It's just standard bullshit like the rest of this, I guess. No, whatever. Max, is Chris Letang man or machine? That is my, that's my question. After watching Penguin Stars last night, comes back 10 days, 11 days, less than two weeks after his second stroke, leads the Penguins in ice time. Like, what are we? I, I, I think we, we, we did talk about this last week to some extent. Haley and I did. Um, mainly because of the difference that we saw between, because I was around, I was in Pittsburgh whenever Chris Tang had his first stroke. I mean, that was all hands on deck. Terrifying day. Like everybody was, there was a lot of questions over how it happened and what came next and, 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 uh, and whether we'd seen the last of Chris Letang <laughs> in, a, in a in a hockey sense, I and then yeah. and then second time around, it's like no, nah, he'll he's day to day, he'll be back like he like he you know sprained his sprained his uh, sprained his wrist a little bit, like, yeah, 10, 10, 14 days, and he comes back and looks undeniably like himself and plays twenty seven minutes. I mean, against a good team, by the way. Yeah, this isn't just some this isn't just some blow off you know, Tuesday, Tuesday night game against the Ducks or whatever. The the Stars are a legitimate playoff caliber team. And Latang comes in. What did you say? What was it? What was it? What was the number there? 2735. Oh, God. Both special teams. You know, he played more at even strength than any other Penguin played. Oh, I like that. I didn't drill down the number. 21-27, just at even strength. The next highest Penguins overall ice time was Dumoulin at 20-38 total. I guess here's here's the here's the one thing I want to say about this specifically. And I see, I've seen people frame it this way, understandably, because there is... God, we've seen it for years. We've seen it in a lot of different toxic you know, kind of uh, with a toxic framework to it, that this is play hurt hockey culture, you know, valorizing something that shouldn't be yeah. valorized. And I don't, and this may be overly credulous in me, I don't see that when I when I look at Chris Letang coming back after 11 or 12 days. Like this is an organization and a medical staff that's been through it before. This is a player who's eminently aware of the risks that he's, you know, just are, of the condition that he's that he's living with and playing with on a day to day basis, I, I and I have. There's no doubt in my mind that if there were legitimate elevated risk for Chris Letang moving forward, you know that that we we wouldn't we wouldn't be seeing him now. Like maybe maybe he shouldn't be if you have issues with him playing at all like whatever i, I guess i'm i'm not going to convince anybody there but it's his body you have to grant him some level of autonomy over over you know the choices that he makes for himself and also trust the medical staff again that is that has dealt with this 
not just with Chris Atang, but with Pascal Dupree, who who had who had blood clotting issues. Like this is this is a group, this is a medical group that you know has had to deal with some with some heavy duty stuff. Not even just with this player specifically. So I don't I'm know. I'm really comforted by the fact that it's a regular season game. If it was playoffs, I'd be much more inclined to be like, you know, oh, what what kind of risk are they taking? That's but almost it. it. You know, That's almost yeah. it, right? Like he came back so fast that you're like, what would the what's the point? it swings like that far back in the other direction where you're like, yeah. okay, he could have just waited another week or another 10 days or another month or right. whatever and still been fine. But the fact that he didn't and the fact that he came back so quickly, that lends itself for in this weird, you know, maybe kind of circular logic where you're like, he, he must be, he must be okay if he came back that quickly. So, Happy to see Chris back on the ice. I mean, he's a guy who, dude, plays harder. Plays harder than anybody, wants to play forever, and I hope he does, honestly. Masterton lock, by the way, at this point. You think so? I would think so. Hmm. I was calling, we were calling Alex Stalock the lock at the start of the season, but he's, he's gotten hurt again. I guess that, I guess that's it, right? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I feel like I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm a prisoner at the moment. You know that about me. <laughs> it's the one thing I always say about you. Maxie, what's the other thing that we want to hit on before we get out of here? There was, there was one other bit. Yeah, I, I think we should talk about a little bit on the Board of Govs. Um, maybe not earth-shattering that six weeks after the initial salary cap projection, which is, is that the cap could go up as much as $4.5 million next year, mm. uh, that there's not an update on that. So it has only been six weeks, but I, I think there's probably something encouraging uh about that that you know potentially still on track for that i I think that's great for the sport i think there are teams like the vancouver canucks Mm -hmm. who can really use it uh for for a number of reasons and i think it's going to be good for i mean the the potential progression when elliot friedman first reported on this uh about two months ago it it could potentially be up eight and a half nine million dollars from where it is now within three or four years uh that's huge and i i think as much as people have gotten frustrated with the, you know, cap shenanigans that teams like Tampa and, and Vegas have used to to stay as loaded as they are, I think it's really good for the sport when great teams are able to stick together and we're able to kind of see their full kind of dynastic potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd have loved to, to, to continue to see Andre Pilat in, in Tampa along with these guys and uh, honestly, they may not have even been able to afford him with this cap increase, given how much they gave Sorelli and Sergachev uh, to, to stay, which is, which happens when you got great players. But I do think it's good for the game. I think it's good for the sport when when great teams are able to see it, see how much they got in them. That is kind of a fun thought exercise. Where like, if this would happen last season, do we just see Sorelli and Sergachev get more, or or like proportionally more? Does it is that enough to keep those guys around? I think that is kind of a fun. It's a fun way to look at it. Uh, the the I, the way I look at it, I agree, look I agree with you. Like this is this is good for the sport. It's good for it's good for dynastic teams or teams with dynastic potential. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the, with the Canucks. You know, in the first segment, four and a half million dollars this year, eight nine down the line. Okay, the time for excuses is is over. Like we, especially if that holds, God forbid, nothing else catastrophic happens that drops out in revenues again, which would throw everything out of whack as happened in 2020. 
the age of GMs being able to hand wave their cap issues and just saying like, well, flat cap, we were not not anticipating for this. Over. Not an excuse anymore. If it jumps up four and a half million dollars for the 23-24 season, like, goodbye excuses. Do better work. Figure out your figure out your salary structure. Do do what you got to do, and then and then move on. Like you're wearing this now in the way that in the way that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Olivine are, are wearing the 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 Canucks roster. Can't can't go through the BS again. Max, you've got to go. You've got a very full day. I know you've got a Red Wings game. You got a you got a national team thing that you're going to. What's up? What's up with that? Yeah, just uh, the USA uh, selection camp. So. Gonna jet out there now and uh, see how the how the U.S. World Junior is. Very American activity of me uh, as I host on on the Tuesday show. God bless you. What a way to spend one year last. Uh, we got twelve days. Twelve days before. before <laughs> twelve days Christmas. of Christmas. <laughs> what is the twelfth one? Partridge in the pear tree. I think. I don't know. No, that's the first day. That's the first day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> duh. Duh. Says says producer Jeff. Thanks, buddy. Absolutely. Tomorrow on the show, Rob Pizzo, Michael Russo, Jesse Granger, welcoming John Shannon to the Wednesday Roundtable this week. John Shannon, longtime Canadian TV exec, legend of the business. He's got some wild stories. Let's see. Let's see what's, what kind of stuff he shares. Also, Max, you and Corey have a new prospect series uh, ep coming on Friday. Anything you need to share about any plans for that? Or you just, you guys just. I think safe bet we're going to talk about this selection camp. There you go. That's what you're doing. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on YouTube. YouTube.com at sign, not the words at sign, the actual <laughs> shift number two at sign, the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review only if they're good. And of course, Max, can you believe it? The offer's back. Annual subscription to the Athletic are just $2 a month for a year. The return. Wow. When you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Our guest next week flyer legend broadcaster chris Terrian, who wrote a wonderful book that we're going to talk about uh, with craig supposedly we'll see about that their final show of 2022 thank god merry christmas from the tuesday boys hashtag tuesday boys three z's and to quote john ham bye